Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Maximizing Outcomes with Jim McGovern. Jim, what's going on? Well, we got a big topic today for the episode. We're going to be diving into this whole idea of do retirement accounts really save us money on taxes? And we're going to talk about all the complex rules and the regulations and the the constant state of change that's going on with retirement accounts. I think it's going to be a, a fun show. I've got a couple of good stories to tell. So I'm excited. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like you're kind of harkening back to episode three. Um, I remember you spoke about the differences between people retiring like 40, 50 years ago versus today versus future generations. There's there's a lot of differences that you spoke of. And for those that maybe are just joining us or haven't heard that episode, uh, I think it would be pretty helpful if you could walk through some of that, if we have time for that, uh, some of the differences maybe. And uh, that, I think that'll help kind of set the stage. Absolutely. So I mean, think about a retirement account is, and we were talking informally just before the show started, that these things are complicated. Retirement accounts are not easy to understand. In fact, if you go on the IRS's website and you and you look at the publications for the rules of IRAs and Roth IRAs and formal cases, I mean, it is it is, it is countless pages of complexity. And these rules are, are constantly changing. So you have to think about this from the government standpoint, that when you take a tax deduction to put money into a retirement account, it's not a tax avoidance scheme. You're simply deferring that tax. And mm-hmm. our government views that as a, a cost to them currently. Because if, if they didn't have that incentive in place, they'd be getting that revenue today. So if they're going to give you an incentive, which is really there to encourage you to save for retirement, you're going to have to follow a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. So on today's show, I want to talk about, you know, first and foremost, I want people to start thinking differently about retirement accounts. And I want people to be able to better navigate the rules because there's tons of them. But then I want you to be able to be in a position where you have a lot of much more overall financial balance where you don't have all your money tied up in one thing. Cause if the rules change, you're, you're stuck. So like Eric, like you were just mentioning that, you know, 40, 50 years ago versus today, I mean, generations, they're just facing different things. I mean, you go back 40, 50 years ago, people had pension plans. Um, life expectancy wasn't as long nowadays. I mean, people are living almost as many years in retirement as they have with a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And companies have said, we, we just can't simply afford to save enough money for you while you're working to pay you for that length of time. So they, they've scrapped their pension plans. So these life expectancies getting longer and longer, it's putting pressure on our retirement while along the way, the cost of living keeps going up. So we're on our own. Uh, I just want to start with a little bit of, of, of you know, seriousness here that you know we have to take 100% responsibility for our own retirement because you know the government's going to give us some social security. Of course, that that program can change. But we really have to put ourselves in a position where we're nimble, we have enough money, and we're going to live a great life even in retirement. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it's you made some really, really good points because I'm creeping up on 50, and it's not like I've lived a, in a really long time, but I don't ever remember hearing this entire next generation can't afford to buy houses now. And that's something I've been hearing over the last you know couple of years. And it's it's tough because of that cost of living increase. So that's uh, it's spot on. 
Um, I know in my history, and my dad was a big proponent of this. He's like, listen, you know, retirement costs a lot of money. It's going to cost you a bunch. You want to, <laughs> you don't want to run out. I'm like, I, you're right, dad. I don't. Uh, so he's just like, put as much possible into your retirement account, max it out as much as possible, put your head down and just work hard and do that. Is that the best course of action really? Because it sounds like you're about to tell me not really. Well, your dad was spot on and part of that, which is, you know, put your head down, save a boatload of money. That's, you know, that's the vast majority of um, of the heavy lifting. You have mm -hmm. to save enough money. And a lot of people just frankly don't do that. But I think part of that is we think that for a certain milestone in life, we need a product to go with it. So we need to max out our retirement account so we have enough money for retirement. So the key point here is I want everybody to remember to retire, you just need to have enough money. It doesn't matter as much where it comes from. Is it, is it enough? So if you didn't have a retirement account, but you had enough money outside of the retirement account, you know, problem solved. Mm -hmm. So that's why I want to start to think about this differently. Just think about how much wealth do I have to amass and how much cash flow can, can that produce? That's what dictates whether you retire or not. If it's in a retirement account or not, it's, it's really irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, being with you on this podcast, I've learned a ton, right? But coming into it, it was, you know, retirement accounts have a lot of tax advantages to them. Um, every employer I've worked for that had a 401k, they gave me a match. And I think a lot of people are in that same boat. Um, so therefore, I see why people like it because free money is great. Uh, but learning from you, the rules are very complicated. Um, I've actually run into a couple snags in my personal life we won't cover, but I kind of screwed up with the 401k before. So I understand there's rules that you have to know going in. Um, and there are these trap doors, right, that can lead to penalties, which again, personal experience, uh, higher taxes and other things, other issues. Can you help us understand some of these rules, how they work and how they can change over time? Because we know the government's fond of changing rules on us. Right. And they, and they have to react. I mean, this is, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things the government pays for and there's only so True. many sources of revenue. So, but again, there's these trap doors because they're saying, if we're giving you this deduction and you've got to follow a lot of very specific rules that, that are constantly changing. So before we dive into that, I want to share a story with everybody uh, because I think this will, this will kind of demonstrate the point here. I'm fortunate that in addition to working with my clients, um, I'm also in a position where, you know, I teach a lot of financial advisors. I train them throughout the year and, and usually once or twice a year, I get invited to speak at a national conference. In fact, a lot of people that go to that conference subscribe to this episode, so or subscribe to this podcast. So, hello, everybody. Uh, but the topic they gave me one time was they want me to talk about retirement planning specifically. So, usually when I present to a live audience, you know, I'm drawing things out on a whiteboard or I'm, you know, going through live demonstrations of concepts and techniques. So, I, I want to make it, I don't like PowerPoint, right? I want to make it live. But my goal is I want everybody to walk away with something that I show them that they can immediately start using with their clients. So, I get on stage and I just tell the audience before I start my presentation that I first wanted to share the news that I'm starting a new business. And this business, you know, I, I was, you know, I get to travel a lot and I've noticed that the high end bottled water market is pretty intense as far as the, uh, the competition. You think of the brands like, you know, Pellegrino, Perrier, it's like, you know, there's some, there's some fancy water brands mm -hmm. out there, but you know, I noticed that there's, there's nobody in the ultra low end bottled water market. You know, that was wide open. There's nobody really owns that space. So I decided to start a company and my business is going to dominate the ultra low end bottled water market. And the audience is like, well, how are you going to do this? <laughs> yeah, what does that like, mean? You know, I don't know about you, Eric, but when I was a kid, I loved playing outside and we used to have these really intense wiffle ball games that lasted like 12 hours. And 
know, you'd work up quite a thirst. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we have our wiffle ball game. You don't want to take a break to go inside to get a drink of water. Right. You want to just grab that garden hose. Right. Absolutely. That's what we do. So uh, that's what my company is going to do. We're going to grab that low end taste, get that nostalgic feeling of drinking <laughs> cold water from a garden hose. Right. So, so that's the idea. So we figure there's nothing quite as refreshing and thirst quenching as that cool water rushing from the garden hose that you and all your friends passed around. Maybe you dumped some on your head and you got back to your game of wiffle ball. So I'm like, well, why not just turn that nostalgia into a, into a franchise? So anybody can join the franchise. Super easy. All you need is a garden hose and a water supply and some kind of a container to put the water in. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine that the crowd was getting pretty excited by this point. People are like, this is great. Let's jump on this entrepreneurial bandwagon. <laughs> so I said, well, before you become a franchisee, there are some things you're going to have to agree to in the, in the paperwork that we're going to do. And here's the rules. So the first rule is you're required to put up a hundred percent of the money for this business. So it's my idea. So I'm giving it to, to you, but, uh, but you have to put the money in. And if you don't feed your business with money, it's never going to grow. Everybody gets that. They say it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the second rule was that even though you're going to put up 100% of the money, we're going to split the value, the ownership of this business. It's going to be 75% you as the franchisee and 25% my cut. And hmm. as long as you keep the money in the business, I'm not going to take my cut until later in life when you start pulling money out of the business. All right. How are we doing so far? So far, so good? <laughs> it got a little cloudy there. <laughs> not, not as happy about that second rule. Go you ahead. You pay royalties in any any franchise. Yes, I just decided true, to make true, my a little true. larger than most. But, you know, I'm not taking any of it until you start taking money out of the business. Got it. So here's a, here's a little catch. Even though we're going to start the cut out at 75% you and 25% me, if I ever decide I want a bigger cut, I'm free to do so. So I don't want you to worry about this because I'm going to give you a scale but I'm probably going to change the scale pretty much every couple of years. Okay. <laughs> now, now, first up, why would I take a bigger cut? Well, I don't know. You might be a great franchisee and you might grow the value of your business into some huge number. And if you do, then I may want to take 40 or 50% or even more. Right. Doesn't sound so fair, yeah. but that's just How's the that way it is. Right? Doing now? Yeah. My idea, right? My idea. <laughs> yes, Remember idea. hose water. It's a beautiful thing. Hose water, ink. It's going to be great. Now I could, I could take less of a cut. Now, why would I do that? Well, maybe your business doesn't grow by much and there just isn't much there for me to take. So I could agree to lower my split. But before I do that, I need to see everything else you have in terms of income and assets before I decide to take take a lower cut. Mm. Um, but here's the deal. Sometimes I run into some hard times of my own. And even though your business might be smaller, if I'm not running into trouble elsewhere, I could still increase my cut. That's just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. You have no control over what I do with my money, but if I don't run my money well, I can just I can just grab more of yours. So there's going to be a committee. You know, all businesses have opportunities. I'm going to assign a committee to your franchise that is going to come up with a menu of options that you can allocate your um, you know to your money to, to put towards these different opportunities. You're going to take all the risk. It's all on your shoulders. You're free to do your own research, but you have to pick from this menu. You can't pursue any menus that are not on the list that I give you. Well, um, let me you guess, can't, you can't be on yeah. the board. You can't be on the board. I mean, <laughs> you can you can go complain the, to the committee if you want, and they may help you, they may not. That's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Mm-hmm. You can't sell your business and take money out of the company until you're a certain age. And I'm going to make that age, currently, I'm going to make it 59 and a half. Don't ask me why I made the extra half a year. It's just 59 and a half. <laughs> but if I want, I can change that age. 
I can bump it back to maybe 61, 62. If you do take money out before the age that I set, I'm going to take my usual cut from the scale that I mentioned, which may be changing, but I'm going to take an additional 10% as a penalty. So make sure you really, really <laughs> think long and hard before you take money out of this business. All right. Now you mentioned you're 50, right? You're getting, you're getting up Get, there before you know there. you'll be, yep. you'll be in your seventies, right? If you don't take money out of the business by a certain age, I'm going to force it out. So when you turn age 73, you have to start taking money out of this business and the, at the rate at which I tell you, and you can take out more if you want, but if you don't, don't take out what I tell you, I'm taking my usual cut plus a penalty again. <laughs> okay. Now, Eric, you've, you've dealt with different businesses, right? You ever hear of a business passing from parent to child? Oh yeah. Yeah. It happens all the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this business isn't one of those kinds of businesses. Okay. You can pass the business to your kids or your grandkids when you die, but they're going to have to sell everything and take everything out of this company by the end of a 10 year period. Now, because they're probably gonna be pulling money out at a pretty rapid rate, I may take a bigger cut at that point. So I'm gonna have to look at their financial situation. What do they have? What do they make? And if it looks like they are doing pretty well in other areas of life and they're taking money out of this business, then I'm just going to increase the cut. Okay. Now look, to grow this business, I know exciting opportunity. You're super pumped. All businesses need money to grow. And I want you to really pour a lot of money into this business so you can be successful someday financially, but you can't put more than $22,500 per year into the franchise. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That one hose better last you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, get, get a couple hoses as a backup. And, yeah. and that brings up another point. You can't put money into this business unless you're actively working in it. So if you're too sick or you're too injured and you are not actively working in this business, you cannot put a single dime into it. You can keep what you have. You just can't add any more money to it. All right. Now, all companies have have bosses, right? Especially if you're a, if you're a franchisee, there's going to be somebody overlooking that franchise. So I'm going to have somebody overlooking your franchise. You can think of them as your boss. And if you add money to your business, they're going to add some money too to help you grow it. Now, they may change the amount they give you, right? But if you quit the business and decide this isn't for you anymore, which would be like a shocker based on the rules I've given you so far, mm -hmm. they're going to have a schedule of how much money they're going to take back. And if you've, if you've spent enough time in the company and you've reached a certain level of loyalty, even if you quit, you get to keep what they, what they gave you. And last but not least, there's some other rules, but I'll just, I'll cut it short here. If you ever fall in hard times, it's up to your boss to decide whether or not you can borrow against the value of this business. So newsflash, not all bosses are going to agree to this. Some bosses specifically will not allow you to do this. Mm. Um, if they say, yes, you can borrow, the way the rules work in their agreement is you can borrow the lesser of half of your account balance or $50,000, whichever smaller. And once you borrow that money out, you have to pay it back over a five-year period. Any amount you don't pay back, I'm going to take my cut plus a 10% penalty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe things don't work out and we have to fire you. Take your franchise back, right? You're just, this isn't for you. Or you quit. You say, I'm done. And you borrow money from this thing. You have to pay it back immediately or else I'll take my cut plus a 10% penalty. That so I've got weird. about... 50 more pages of rules I'm not going to go through. I think you get the point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can change it at any time. But um, tell me how we're doing. Based on this description of this exciting opportunity to be a franchisee of Hosewater Inc., how are we doing, Eric? 
I think I feel about get hosed. That's what I think. Oh, right. That's a good one. No pun intended. Yeah, no, you know, pen wasn't definitely intended, but yeah, it, I mean, it's it's a it's a beautiful picture. Great story. Um, I identified with part of it, uh, and again, not to dive too deeply, but that's exactly what happened. Is we had borrowed money from our four hundred one k. Obviously, you're drawing the parallel between the four hundred one k and this business, and we did not know that rule that if you left that position, that that money was due within I think it was like sixty days or thirty days, something like that. Um, and we couldn't do that because we had we had done it to help out a family member and lent them the money, didn't have it all back, and so we got taxed and penalized on on a goodly sum. And yep. uh, so yeah, I mean that. But the the rest of it, the other stuff that you're talking about, I a lot of it I haven't heard before. So it really shifts my thinking about how that retirement account specifically works. Um, but are you saying that we shouldn't use them at all? I mean, I doesn't. I can't imagine you say a blanket statement like that. Definitely not. So, you know, when I describe that as a business, most people are like, I would never buy a business with those yeah, kinds of rules, yeah, right? Insane. There's no way. But yet when you go to a job interview, it's one of the first questions you have after you get past the formal interview, you know, because you're going to take the job. It's like, do you have medical insurance? Yep. Check the box. Do you have a 401k plan or what, what kind of retirement package do you have? It's like, if I put those same rules under the umbrella of this is a retirement account, people are super excited. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I want to be really, really clear on, on what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. So what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying you should never save for retirement. You definitely need to save for retirement unless you want to work till the day you die. All right. And I'm not saying that you should not use retirement accounts. There, there's a lot of really powerful features to a retirement account, but I think a lot of people focus only on the good side and they don't think of the complexities. So I'm also not saying that you shouldn't add money to your account at work and you shouldn't appreciate the effort your company is making to help you save for retirement. It's a generous benefit. It's that match is part of your overall compensation. And we should be thankful our, our employers are helping us do that. So what, what I am saying is that retirement accounts, they can have, and the keyword is can, have very powerful tax advantages, but they can also have large disadvantages. Like I mentioned earlier, those tax rates are mm -hmm. going to change. You have to know the game you're playing. You have to know the rules of the game as they stand today. And you have to know that there is a 100% certainty that the rules and the tax rates are going to change. And we don't know what they're going to be. We can talk about that in a, in a few minutes, but you just need to think critically about how these accounts work. And in and, and this, I think, Eric, with your story, uh, it, it just it points out that it's a lesson learned for everybody is that we, we can't be out of balance. We can't overly concentrate and over, over rely on yep. retirement accounts because it can have those unintended consequences. And this last thing I'll say about this is that we need to not just know the rules of the game. We have to know ourselves. We have to know the type of career path that we have. We have to think about our own personal circumstances. And we know that things change. I know some people that if they don't lock up this money and put it into a retirement account that they can't touch, they're going to spend it. Mm -hmm. Right. And they know that about themselves. And they go, if I don't max this out, that's my only shot. Right. But there's other people that go, you know what? I'm, I'm good with budgeting and, you know, I just want to have that freedom and flexibility that when life throws me a curveball, I don't have to to take the advantages away from these retirement accounts and deal with all these penalties. I have other money that I can rely on. Yeah. Well, I want to harken back to something you just said, because, you know, they, they can change the rules, right? Tax rates change. We've seen that, you know, over and, and ages and things, you know, can change within these plans. Um so again, my question to you is, do you really think people are saving money on taxes with retirement accounts based on how they work? Because I, I know a ton of people that, you know, they up their contributions every year because they think they're saving tax money. And I'm, I'm guilty. I've, I've, I've done that. 
Uh, but is that really true? Maybe, maybe not. And this is the, one of the things that when I train other advisors, other financial professionals um, that have been also taught that there's this all this tax saving, sometimes it's hard for them to kind of like unlearn and unsee that. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the biggest, biggest myths that I see is that people think that they're earning money on the tax money they otherwise would have paid. And it's simply not true. So I want to walk through an example and I'm using, I'm going to use numbers here that are, that are round numbers that it's easy to do math in your, in your head. So I'm going to use a 30% tax bracket. Now there isn't a 30% tax bracket currently. There has been in the past, there's just not one right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Makes my math a little bit easier, but let's just say that you're, you earn $10,000 of compensation at work and you're in the 30% tax bracket that you, you want to put that money into your, um, into your paycheck. Well, you pay 3000 in tax, right? 30% of 10,000 is $3,000 that goes to the government. Mm-hmm. And you'd have $7,000 left in your hands to do something with, in this case, save for retirement. So the thought is that if I take the $10,000 and I put it into my 401k, and it's really all pre-tax accounts, could be an IRA, a 401k, 403b, they'll work the same way from this aspect. The $3,000 that you would have paid to the government right now, along with the $7,000 that you would have received is now inside of the 401k plan, right? So you get a statement that says there's $10,000 here. So did the government say you now get to escape taxes forever? Absolutely not. What If you read how these laws work, it's a deferral of the tax. Mm-hmm. You're simply putting that tax into the plan and you'll pull this money out later. So forget rates of return for a minute. This is the hardest thing I think for people to wrap their head around is that forget rate of return for a minute. Pretend you never earned a penny on this money. Later in life, you go to withdraw the $10,000 and the tax rates are exactly the same as they are today. And you're still in that same 30% bracket. So you see 10,000 on your statement, you withdraw the money. Well, then you pay the IRS their $3,000 and you have the $7,000 remaining. Mm -hmm. So where's the tax savings? And I know there's people listening right now that are like getting ready to scream at this podcast. They're going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but what about my tax rate in retirement? Won't it be lower when I, when I retire? Or, yeah, but what about that rate of return? You know, I got to invest that $3,000 for how many years and earn a rate of return that otherwise would pay on taxes. Don't I get to put that money in my pocket? So if everybody could just hold that thought for a minute, here's an alternative. We'll come back to the return. Instead of taking the tax deduction now, and putting that money pre-tax into my, my retirement account. I'm going to pay the tax today. So I pay my $3,000. I have 7000 left. And I invest that money. And just to keep this really easy, say it goes into a Roth IRA or it goes into a Roth 401k. So there's a smaller amount of money on your statement. It's $7,000. It's not ten, but mm-hmm. all of it's yours. There's no tax when you go to pull the money out. So again, if we assume no earnings on the investments, you had $7,000 in the account when you put the money in. It never grew. You pulled it back out. It's the same $7,000. So it doesn't matter if your tax bracket stays the same between now and retirement. It doesn't matter if you put money in pre-tax or post-tax. You pay to the penny the same. Mind-boggling. Yeah. Okay. So now let's flip that coin. Because like you said, there's people screaming at this podcast. We got to get them to calm down. <laughs> so what about adding that rate of return? I mean, does does the scenario turn out better? So I'll give you the end of the story. It's going to turn out exactly the same, but I want to prove it to everybody. Okay, so I'm going to take the same 10000 bucks, And now I'm going to apply an 8% rate of return to it. 
So it's a single investment, like it's just a lump sum of 10,000 in this case. You earned 8% on it every year, which would be wonderful, by the way, for 30 years. That $10,000 investment would now be worth $100,000. So you get your statement, you're all excited and got 100 grand off this single investment. But now you got to withdraw the $100,000 in that same 30% tax rate, and you have $70,000 left to spend. Mm -hmm. So if you did the Roth example that I gave, you only had 7,000 to invest. You bought the exact same investment. You're in the same rate of return of 8%. 30 years later, you don't have 100,000 on the statement. It's worth 70,000. So anybody who knows how to run a future value calculator can do this math at home. But it's the exact same 70,000. You go to withdraw it, there is no tax. So you're literally to the penny in the exact same place. You weren't better or worse off even after we, we apply the rate of return. So what you really did was you never got the tax savings. What the government said is, you know what? We think you're a good investor. Why don't you go ahead and hang on to our tax money we would have charged you today? You go ahead and invest it for us at that 8% rate of return. And then when you go to pull the money out, that's their money. It's not yours. It was never yours. Mm -hmm. I know this hurts <laughs> for some people to hear, but again, if the tax bracket stays the same, it doesn't matter. You aren't getting ahead or behind you the way you look at it. Okay. So that's, that's if everything stays the same, right? So based on what you've said, how can you save money on taxes, whether it's pre or post tax advantage savings? How, how is that possible then? Right. So it's like literally the million dollar question. So I'm going to, I'm going to butcher a famous quote from Wayne Gretzky. And he was quoted as saying, he doesn't focus on where the puck is. He focuses on where the puck is going. Do the same thing with your retirement account. If you want to save money on a pre-tax retirement contribution, you have to think about what is your tax rate right now? So the top end of your bracket that you're in and ask yourself, when you retire, what's the rate going to be at that point? So common thinking, common, common knowledge on this or common wisdom is people just assume that I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket when I retire. I, I hear this, I can't even tell you how many times per week. And I think it's been repeated so many times that people just assume it's like an automatic. It's not always the case. So if we go back through history, let's go back to when the 401k was created, which was the late 1970s. The top federal tax rate was roughly 70%. And you know, people think taxes are high now. I mean, 70%, that's, uh, that's outrageous. In fact, it was even higher prior to that. Currently, the top federal tax rate is only 37%. So if you invested money in a 401k pre-tax in the late 1970s, and you're withdrawing the money today, and you're in the highest tax bracket, you really did save money on taxes. You, you deferred and deducted that tax at 70% back in the 70s, and you're withdrawing it today at 37%. So you won the tax game. Mm -hmm. But if you're putting money away uh, post-tax, such as the case with like a Roth IRA or a 401k, you need the opposite to happen. So look, a, a Roth IRA didn't exist back during the Reagan administration, but just pretend it did for a minute. I mean, the, back then, the top federal tax rate in the mid to late 1980s was 28%. Mm -hmm. So if you paid the 28% tax back then, invested the money and you're in a top tax bracket right now, but you get to pull money out of a Roth account tax-free, you're avoiding a 37% rate. So yeah. let me just run through this again, because I know I'm throwing out numbers and percentages, but let me kind of give you the rules of thumb on this, that for a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k or Roth 403b now they have, to save you money on taxes, the tax rate when you put the money in needs to be lower than when you take the money out. And for a traditional pre-tax retirement account to save you money on taxes, it has to do the opposite. 
taxes when you contribute need to be higher. And then when you pull it out, it has to be has to be lower. So it's a it's a it's an interesting thing to think about because there's a lot of spending going on in the government and a lot of people fear tax rates go up. Well, you have to start to project like where am I likely to be with these different buckets when I when I get to retirement? Yeah. And that's I mean, it's anybody's guess, right? I mean, that's that's the problem. I mean, you can you can try to play the shell game as best you can, but how can you possibly plan for retirement and your taxes? at the same time when you don't know what the numbers are going to be. Right. So this is where, you know, we can't make the decisions in a vacuum. We have to do some math and we have to make some informed decisions. And you need to diversify your tax buckets and plan accordingly. So ideally, what, what we all want is we want our incomes to be as high as possible when we get to retirement. But at the same time, we want our taxes to be as low as possible. So you have to think in terms of retirement cash flow and how much of that cash flow is taxable income. So an easy example would be somebody with a $200,000 retirement income that's fully taxable. They're really, you know, they're, it's going to be really sensitive. Every time the government increases rates, decreases rates, they're going to see their cash flow changing in some cases dramatically. Yeah. But imagine somebody else who has $200,000 of retirement cash flow coming in, but maybe only half of it is taxable and the other half is tax-free. Mm-hmm. Well, great. You have you have high income cash flow, but on a tax return, you look like you have a much lower income. So who's better off? Well, that person with maybe some some taxable buckets, some tax free buckets, they're a little bit more nimble. So if tax rates go sky high, they might just say, you know what, I'm going to take money that's more tax advantage account for a while, because if I keep grabbing this taxable account, I'm going to get crushed in taxes, or they're at least able to kind of balance things out. So again, that's why I'm saying like we can't over rely on a single approach to retirement savings. I mean, I've met so many people over the years that, like your dad said, it just they just load up everything into that pre-tax retirement account and they see these statements and they look great. But what they have now is they have a, a, a ticking tax bomb on their hands and every dollar they pull out of the account of retirement, they're going to pay taxes on. And the more they pull out, the more they pay. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they did a great job of saving for retirement and you know, with ease, they'll be able to to enjoy the same income they did when they were working. So that's the good news. But the bad news is that they're, these people start to get really worried about taxes. So, you know, how do they save, how do they save money on taxes if they've over relied on retirement accounts like this? Well, there's only a couple of ways to do it. I mean, the, the one that breaks my heart the most is what I call the, the enjoyment tax. And people say, I don't want to pay the tax. I'm just going to take less money out. Mm. So that's, I mean, that's counterproductive. I mean, you worked your entire life to get to this point. And now because the tax tail is wagging the dog, you're like, I don't want to take the money and pay the tax. I'll just keep deferring it. Well, great. Now the enjoyment tax is 100%. You're not enjoying your retirement as much as you could. And it's just making the problem worse because now the accounts keep getting bigger, right? And eventually the government, like I said in my my hose water example, is that the government says eventually you've hit a certain age. They just changed this law recently where – it's age 73 now is when you're required to start taking distributions out. They're going to push that back to age 75 in the year 2033. But the government said, hey, you've had enough of this tax deferral and uh, we want our money. So they're going to force you to start taking money out. And again, you may not have any control over it. It might force you into a higher, higher bracket. And um, and that's it. And then the last thing that I'll mention, you know, I said this earlier, but this is one of those businesses you just pass on to your kids. When you die with a 401k or an IRA or any kind of a qualified retirement account, it used to be that you could take money, pass it to your kids, they could put it into an inherited IRA, and they could stretch distributions out over their lifetime. Mm -hmm. They could receive large amounts of money 
but take relatively small distributions and keep deferring that 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 tax bill longer and longer down the road. Well, that all changed a few years ago. They implemented what's called the 10-year rule. And now you have 10 years from the date you inherit that money that the entire account balance has to be taken out. And again, that can that can force a lot of people, especially high-income earning uh, children that inherit this money, they're going to be paying taxes at the, at the highest rate possible. So we've got to be careful of that, all right? You're tracking us so far, Eric. We haven't yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, I, I think about the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking about it was um, the fact that, you know, if you, if you, a husband and wife have 401ks each, right? And we all know the statistics, men die before women. What if the husband passes away and the wife inherits the, the husband's 401k? But I, I think it, if I'm not mistaken, it kind of rolls into hers. Correct. But that means she's now single, which usually affects the tax bracket. And then her RMDs, when she gets to that point, are going to be much higher because she's taking out of both accounts, which are now combined. It, it seems like it's just another whammy, higher taxes for her. Right. So we so that's a way to think about is again, not what does it look like today, but how are things going to change? Going from a yeah. you know, married filing filing joint tax return to, you know, now you're a widow. Yeah. Right. Things are different. Um, but you know, taxes change. Deductions yep. go away. So I mean, we think about it, you know, it's like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of spending going on in the government level. I mean, there's thirty trillion dollars of debt. And there's very large entitlement programs that require significant funding. So the government you know, uh, you, you think about it, they're probably going to need a lot more revenue over time, and it's probably going to come from higher taxes. Well, I mean, that's that's why they changed that 10-year rule. The stretch IRA changed to 10 years because they want their money now, right? That's right. I mean, that's, that's so they can do these little things, and it kind of creeps up on us. That's right. <laughs> oh, we'll just yep. change this little rule. Oh, we'll just change this other little that's rule. That's right. So, yeah, and, and, it, and you think about it, there's so many different ways. So it's like they could say, we're going to raise the, the rates. Mm -hmm. But they could also change the brackets. I mean, in 1970s, there were 16 tax brackets. Now there's only five, like five or six. Mm. Deductions can go away. It could be a combination of all the above. So again, it, putting money pre-tax away, it feels really good right now. But at some point, you may be back into a corner. It might, it might not have any many ways out. So we, yeah. I'm not saying don't take the tax deduction. I'm just saying let's be smart about it. And let's get the deductions to the extent that they make sense. But when they no longer make sense, we need to be aware of that. Right. ready to know what else what else do we do yeah and, and and you and i've talked about this before one of the things that you i mean the main reason you started the podcast is to educate folks and so for the listening audience um they they could use some examples right they, they need to be able to understand kind of where they're at compared to what you're talking about so can you give us some examples of when it may be better to contribute more money pre-tax versus post-tax um is there a good time to do that or is there just another strategy yeah, I'll give you two easy ones. And again, there's infinite variations of this. And that's why we have, we have very sophisticated software to help model these things out. But you know, somebody who's a high income earner today that's, you know, maybe getting closer to retirement to the point where it's like, you know, maybe only 10 or 15 years away, that is also very behind in saving for retirement. Mm. It may be a long shot to get them to the same level of income that they're used to earning in retirement, just based on the fact that they're so far behind. So they may be way better off taking the deduction now. And filling up that pre-tax bucket because you know it's just the likelihood of them having enough cash flow to put them in a higher bracket it might be relatively small gotcha so you know they need to keep an eye on it because things can change quickly i mean the investments may grow more rapidly than they thought you know they may have um you know retirements delayed a little bit so we have to keep an eye on it but you know somebody who is you know maybe a little bit younger 
who is in the early stages of their career. And, you know, maybe I work with a lot of professionals and, uh, you know, you look at some younger professionals, it's pretty likely that they're going to be making significant amounts of income down the road. Mm-hmm. So while their tax bracket's low, if they're good savers, maybe it's better to put money into some post-tax accounts or some Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, things like that, while their bracket's the lowest it's ever going to be. But they're great savers. They're going to make more money. They're probably going to have plenty of of income in retirement. So let's let's start to max out these other these other tax buckets now while we can. Yeah, that's yeah. why we have to have that balanced approach. And you know, you, you have to monitor these things over time. All right, Jim. J- just out of curiosity, uh, quick question. I told you earlier that we actually ran into that situation where we borrowed against our four hundred one k and and uh, left employment at that location before we had paid the full thing back and found out that way <laughs> about the taxes and penalties. Um, if, if people run into you know hard times. Um, I know that, you know, during the pandemic, there were situations where, you know, kids weren't going to school. So all of a sudden there needs to be some sort of, you know, childcare involved and, and maybe they need to pull some money out or maybe they had a relative that was sick. How, is there some alternatives to pulling from a 401k because of all the loopholes and all the rules that we don't always know? Right. So this is a great point. And I'm glad you brought this up because I think it's the over-reliance on the 401ks, 403bs, things like that, that, that get people in trouble. Mm-hmm. So what I always advocate for is first and foremost, let's make sure people are saving the right amount of money. Right? And then let's also, let's build up liquidity outside of these retirement accounts. So you have a place to turn either when there's a, an emergency or when there's an opportunity. So think about like a, uh, like, like the 401k loan example. I mean, the rules are pretty harsh and, and not every 401k allows you to, to take a loan. But if you think about it, it's, it, it's kind of funny that it's half of the account balance if your loan is available up to $50,000. So if you have $100,000, great. Well, there's 50,000 you can borrow. You still have to put it back within five years. But if you had a million dollars in the 401k, it looks great in the statement, but it's still, you can only borrow 50,000. Mm-hmm. So when you start to save and invest in, in money outside of retirement accounts, you can, you know, if it's a like a brokerage account or, you know, an advisory account that's in your own name or you own that jointly with your wife, and you want to borrow against it, you can attach a line of credit to that portfolio. Mm. And I mean, just to make this a little bit more dramatic, I mean, if you had a million dollars in an investment account, and you're like, I don't want to sell the investments. I just have this emergency. I want to borrow against those securities. I mean, a line of credit in the neighborhood of $500,000 to $700,000 is not that hard to do. So it allows you to still have, first of all, you can always just pull money out of the account and not borrow against it at all. Right. And there's no penalties, things like that. But if you said, I, I, I'm not done saving and investing money, it's a temporary blip. I could borrow against these securities, nothing gets sold. And then I can manage the cash flow and pay it back whenever I want. And if it's five years, great. If it's longer, that's fine. But you don't get whacked with penalties that have these, these tight restrictions. Mm-hmm. So it's just, again, it's just what I find is that if we just start to think more about just amassing wealth that is liquid, that we have control over, that is flexible, can be used for anything. You're saving for all your life events simultaneously. You're still saving for retirement, but it's not only for retirement. Anything else that pops up in between, you can deal with it. So that's why we need that balanced approach between retirement only accounts and then other more flexible, more more liquid assets. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of liquid assets, let's go back to the hose. Because <laughs> <laughs> go back to the hose example. I love it how your 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 entrepreneur in that example, you. Uh, we're just too, totally nonchalant about just changing the rules when you wanted to and, you know, <laughs> just yeah. on the fly. Uh, well, Uncle Sam, as your example shows, does that exact same thing. Can you can you tell us a few quick rules? I know we talked about the you know, the stretch IRA going to a 10-year thing, but um, mm-hmm. can you give us some other examples of rules that have recently changed that people may not be aware of? 
Yeah, I'll just give I'll give a few. And um, you know, there, there's two major pieces of, of legislation that have passed in the last few years. So the, the first was the Secure Act of 2019, mm-hmm. and then the second is uh, called the Secure Act 2.0, which just passed in December of 2022. Uh, lengthy bill. I'm not going to go through all of it, but there's several changes that that took place. Uh, some good, some not so good. Uh, the one not so good was the elimination of that stretch IRA. That yeah. one stings a bit. The other one, this is kind of ironic given the, the hose water example, but uh, you know now there's the ability for employers to just auto-enroll people in 401ks and 403bs when you're eligible. Like it or not, you're auto-enrolled. Now, you can un- un-enroll if you want, but employers can now automatically sign you up and put in 3% of your pay. But if they want to do a larger amount, they can go up as high as 10%. And each year after they auto-enroll you, they can increase your contributions by 1% per year until it reaches, uh, reaches at least 10% or no more than 15% of your of your compensation. So it's kind of funny. It's like, did you like that hose water example? No, too bad. I'm signing up anyway. <laughs> you're you're yeah. now in, right? Yeah. So now granted, a lot of these employers are also giving you a match, but it's one of those things where you have to now unenroll um, if, if you want. And, and there's some situations where it does make sense. I've seen people with huge credit card bills. I'm like, the 401k is awesome. Don't get me wrong. You have a great plan, but you have this huge credit card bill. Yeah. Maybe you need to opt out of this for a little while and let, let's attack that debt before you worry about 40 years from now. Um, I mentioned the, the required distribution rules that, that's pushed back to age 73. Um, so nobody who's turning 72, because that was the old rule this year, has to worry about it. It's it's kicked down the road for one more year. So 73 is when you have to start taking money out. And in 2033, they're going to change that age to 75. So it buys people some more time, but again, could, could compound the problems even more. Mm-hmm. Um, the emergency. So this is interesting. You mentioned having some some things pop up in your life. So now in the Secure Act 2.0, for unforeseen emergencies, you can make a one time per year, $1,000 withdrawal penalty free. And you have the option to repay it within three years. Um, this doesn't start until 2024. And there's people all excited about this. This is a great win. And I'm going, as long as your emergencies are only a thousand bucks, this is awesome. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say that's a thousand bucks is not much for an emergency. I mean, anybody yeah. who's taken a car to a shop lately, that's what you're normally walking out with. Yeah. At least. I, I, yeah. I think there's some people because we manage a lot of 401ks. I think there's some people that they're, it's like, I don't want to say because what if it's an emergency and they take a lot of loans from it, this will help a segment of the population. But I think is, you know, as people do their own planning, they should yeah. be building up significant emergency reserves elsewhere, but at least there's that little new thing they added here. Yeah. Um, this one's interesting. And this is on the, on the 401k matches that um, you hear about student loans. It's all over the news. People want to get mm-hmm. rid of them, forgive them, et cetera. Now companies can opt to take your 401k match and send it to your student loan company instead of your 401k balance to help pay down qualified student loans. Yeah. I had heard that. I think that's a great thing. So I think there's a ton of people that say, you know what, rather than investing in this mutual fund that I don't understand, I do understand my student loan and I'd like that to be eliminated. So I think that's a, that's a, a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Um, retirement plans are, are permitted now to distribute $2,500 per year for the payment of certain specified long-term care insurance contracts. So you think about people as, as they don't, as they don't die, they live. I know it's a shocker to many people, but as you live, you get old. When you get old, you get sick. When you get sick, you need care, and care costs a fortune. So there's a lot of people that want to get long-term care insurance, but it's more of how do I how do I cash flow it? So mm-hmm. you can, starting in uh, 2026, that's when this one kicks in, you can take $2,500 per year out of your retirement account 
and send it to a uh, you know a long-term care insurance premium, uh, and that's penalty free. So you penalty still have to pay the taxes on it, but there's no stop yeah. pay taxes. Okay, that's right. And then the last one I'll mention, then we'll wrap up, is that if you have a five twenty nine plan, and it's been open for at least fifteen years, the beneficiaries of the five twenty nine can use up to thirty five thousand dollars of that remaining balance over their lifetime towards their Roth IRA contributions. So it, it's still subject to the annual contribution limit. So you can't just shove all that into a plan at once, but over time you can drip some of that money into the into the Roth. So again, it's, I don't think it's a huge deal, but it's you know, it's better than nothing. It's better than just cashing the thing in and, and paying the tax penalty. Yeah. So I think that's enough information for one episode, Eric. I'm not sure about you. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I mean, it was really good and I I liked it. Um you know, for, for any listener that wants to contribute name uh, suggestions for the company, my suggestion is get hosed. Get uh, hosed. You, you, yeah, you can come up with anything else. Please email them to Jim. Jim, if they want to talk to you about that company or they just want to talk about what the heck they're going to do with some retirement accounts, um, how do they get a hold of you? So, yeah, please don't contact me about Hosewater Inc. because it's a made up, <laughs> made up term. But by the way, if somebody runs with this, I want, I want a royalty. You know, I'll there, see there you there on will Shark be a 10% penalty. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to talk about the rules and regulations and all this stuff with retirement accounts, the uh, easiest way to reach us is you can email us uh, at info at mcgovernwealth.com. You can visit our website, www.mcgovernwealth.com. There's a button on there to contact us, or you can just pop some time in our, in our calendar for 30 minutes, and we'll have a conversation, see how we can help. Fantastic. Jim, thank you so much. It was a pleasure today to, to hang out with you and talk to you and, and learn more about your, your, uh, how your brain works with these new companies. <laughs> it's a scary thing. <laughs> and our last thank you, of course, goes to listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast with Jim McGovern. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when Jim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at McGovern Wealth Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number. 0F67329 AR insurance license number 
7119103. California Insurance License Number 0F67329. Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103. Compliance Number 2023-151965 expires March 2025.